Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Welcome everybody. Uh, my name is John with Louise. We're the pastors here at One Church Gloucester. Today we're finishing the series uh, called The Gospel Part 2. We're wrapping the series up today. Uh, if you are in the room, you should have a little communion cup. We're going to finish this message with communion. If you're watching at home or on holiday somewhere, uh, grab something to eat, something to drink, and in a short while we're going to take communion together. Uh, that would be amazing. Uh, and yes, so to, for my job today is to, to wrap up this series we've been taking the last sort of five weeks or so to do and to talk about how every hallow matters and why the gospel has a part two. Because if you, those of you that have been here for a couple of months might remember we've already done a series called The Gospel, and that was The Gospel Part One. Uh, and it was all about how it transforms us, how the gospel changes our identity, our position, our vocation, our destination. Uh, but it doesn't end there. Just like, uh, just think of some of the really average movies out there that they brought multiple sequels out of, like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Like really average movies they just brought more of. And even the greats like Wayne's World and Anchorman, they're, they're what happens is there's, there's more of the story to tell or sometimes there's more of the character to be developed so they bring out more movies to tell more of the story. Let me tell you, it is the same for you. That the gospel transforms you but there's more of the story to tell. And that's why the gospel has a part one which is about our transformation. The gospel transforms you but there's still more to come. It has a part two because the gospel comes with this invitation to participate in it. And we're going to land this series today because all the way through this part two has been about how we participate in this series. Uh, And we're going to wrap the series up today by talking about this, talking about how our tables are places, every hallow matters, and where the gospel is shared. How our tables are places, every hallow matters, and the gospel is shared. That will make a lot more sense when we get through the message, but I wanted to give you the headline to start with. Everybody ready? up for this great if you have a bible turn to Matthew chapter 9 please Uh, so on your phone or if you've got an actual analog bible with you you can turn to Matthew chapter 9 in there we're going to read a few verses from that in just a moment because we're going to look at the calling of Matthew Matthew one of Jesus' disciples many people attribute the gospel of Matthew to this same Matthew and there's this little account Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 which talks about how Jesus calls Matthew to become a follower of him you can you can find this story in all three of the uh, synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke these three different perspectives three different views Uh, and and I find it interesting that whenever there's the same story in all three of those gospels there must be a reason why Uh, and each of these stories really each of these gospel accounts tell this story in a really similar way and I think it's because we've got a bit of an archetype here of how different Jesus approaches discipleship to anybody else anybody before him Uh, So it's a really unique scenario we're going to read, and hopefully I can help us just pick out why that's so unique in in just a moment. Um, uh, So let's do some context first. Uh, Every good Jewish boy wanted to become a disciple. It was the stuff your parents boasted about on Facebook. 
They wanted your child, they wanted you to be a disciple. And every, every good Jewish boy, that was something that you would grow up wanting to be. And most, most, uh, most students, most young Jewish boys, if they were going to become a follower of a, a rabbi, become a disciple of a teacher, then they would usually be earmarked for this at around about the age of 13. That's when uh, some of the next part of their formal education had finished. But you need to be a great student. Like You need to be top of your class so that you would stand out from the crowd. And you needed a rabbi or teacher uh, to pick you to say, yes, you can follow me. The person, that, the people that they chose were going to live in their pockets for the next couple of years. And that was a really important thing to make. So it was an honour to be chosen. It was an honour to be asked to be someone's disciple. It was an incredible thing. And best were called, and some even as young as 13. If you missed the boat at 13, Sometimes there was a way of getting in, but generally if you missed the boat at 13, you would end up taking on probably a family trade like fishing or carpentry, and that would be your apprenticeship instead of that under a rabbi. Now that's the context that, that behind this whole thing of when Jesus calls his disciples, including Matthew, which hopefully you've all got to chapter 9, verse 9 of Matthew here. Uh, and this is what it says. As Jesus went on from there... Uh, He just healed somebody, by the way. Uh, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting from an Old Testament prophet, Hosea here. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, fascinating little passage. There's Matthew sat in his tax collector's booth because he's a tax collector. He's doing his day job. Uh, and, and Jesus comes across him, says two words to him, follow me. And then the story immediately moves to Matthew's house where they're going to eat and drink together. Now, like much has been said of tax collectors before. Uh, much, lots of stories have been told of tax collectors, certainly in this day. I mean, undoubtedly, they'd have been rejected by their families and their community because really their job was to collect tax, collect tax on behalf of the Roman government. You could choose your commission on top of that tax, which made you extremely unpopular, but equally wealthy. So the more unpopular you wanted to be, the wealthier you would be. And that's how a tax collector made their money, seen by traitors by many, as they cooperated with the Roman government. But that's only one reason why this calling of this particular man was extraordinary. Yeah, it was extraordinary to call a tax collector uh, to be a disciple of yours. Um, But the other thing we know is, like most disciples were called to follow a rabbi at 13, uh, Matthew has already begun a totally different job. We don't actually know how old Matthew is, but he's old enough to negotiate government contracts with the Romans. That puts him in a totally different age bracket, bracket to the others. As far as being a disciple goes, he's already missed the boat once. And you get this, I know, and he's probably about 20. Now, if you're 30 and over, you're thinking, 20? Missed the boat at 20? Oh, what I would do to be 20 again. Oh, to feel like I actually had that energy again. Can I get an amen? (laughs) To like get past nine o'clock and not feel like you have to stay up to 10 just to feel like a grown-up and an adult (laughs) rather than longing to be in bed. (laughs) 
Ah, oh, to be able to like be free and have all of the fun that you had when you were 20. Ah, oh, to be 20 again. Now, like you might be 50 or 60 or 70 or, or older and feel like, God, oh, 20. What kind of 20-year-old has missed the boat? But you, I've, I've spoken to 20-year-olds who feel that way. And 25-year-olds that who feel this way. 30, 35, I'm 39. I, I, there's moments where I feel like, have I done enough? Have I, did I, have, I made, have I made the most of what I have? My a massive Bible verse is really important to me. says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I, yeah, I can read ancient Greek. Um, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, I regularly have these moments like, have I done that? Have I lived a life worthy of the calling I've received? And there'll be some of you who are older than me going, well, oh, to be 39 again. And what we're going to do with this constant desire to be younger, because we're constantly feeling like we missed the boat at some point, we made a mistake along the line, we did something we wish we hadn't done, We'd, we took option A when we should have taken option B, and we were longing for those moments again. So it's unusual for a 20-year-old to have missed the boat, but I don't think it is that unusual in some ways. You know, maybe you've become a Christian later on in your life, and you look at some of these amazing like, young people that are involved today and just, I was just looking at the team involved and like teenagers on cameras and drums and involved all over the place in the background setting up this morning, making church happen for you people in the, in the room. And, and we can look at people like, oh, if only I had their opportunity. If only I was in a place like this when I was 16, 17, 18. And let me tell you, this, part of this story is to tell us That you can be 20 and feel like you've missed the boat, but maybe you haven't. That you can be 50 and 80 or 100 and feel like you've missed the boat, and you haven't. Because it's so easy to feel like this, but Jesus takes this moment to speak to somebody that in many people's eyes, not only has got the old tax collector thing going on, but there's an age thing going on here as well. And this old 20-year-old gets this moment of redemption. The other thing is like, that struck me as fascinating about this passage is Jesus approaches him and says, follow me. He knows nothing about him. What's his history? Why has he ended up doing this job and not another one? Is he any good at studying? I mean, like if you're a good teacher, you could make anybody smarter. But I mean, it's nice to work with good material, isn't it? And he, like, oh, there's some teachers that have their feet up already. It's the six weeks holidays have just begun. And you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a side to that six weeks holiday, which is like recovering from that student in your class that just gave you all that trouble. And some of you were that student. We're praying for you. Um, we don't even know. Is he any good at studying? Does he have an aptitude for that? Hasn't he burnt all of his bridges already? But in just two words, follow me. Jesus cuts through years of rejection, missing the cut, and being on the outside. Follow me, suddenly cut through all of that. And maybe that explains why somebody can leave their lucrative job and just begin following a rabbi, a teacher, a a master they've never even met before in their life. Maybe that's why they saw something in this invitation that came from the lips of Jesus. Now here's what happens next, and in all three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they tell the same story. This next part of the story is all part of the story. There's no break. It leads straight into this. So follow me, Jesus says. Matthew follows him. Uh, And where do they go? Do they go to their first Torah study class? No, they don't. Does he have an induction period where he has to learn some basics, like how does Jesus like his tea? No. 
doesn't go into one of those. That, what, what's maybe we're going to go to the temple first, or uh, there's no church to go to. Where, where, where's Jesus going to take this, this disciple that's just begun following him? He follows him to his own house. And it tells this story of, of Jesus says, follow me. So he follows him. And it says, what then? While they were having dinners at Matthew's house. So Matthew, full of excitement, uh, for this great moment of acceptance and second chance and overcoming rejection and leaving. Uh, maybe this is his way back into his community and his family. Leaps at the opportunity. Goes to his house. He's really excited, enthusiastic. And you can imagine him texting all of his friends. Uh, can't, but can't tell you what's just happened. Like this rabbi just said, follow me. This teacher, this amazing person just said follow me and, and, I've, and I am I'm following him where to I think we're going to my house <laughs> all right well come round I'll get some food out let's let's have a meal together and and it describes it says while they were having dinner at uh, Matthew's house while they're eating at Matthew's house it says uh, all sorts of other tax collectors and sinners came to join them and tax collectors and sinners is shorthand for the worst of the bunch the worst of the bunch come to join him and some of Jesus' disciples that he's already called and are following him before Matthew. They're more likely to be some of the younger ones. And they're all sat around the, the tables in Matthew, Matthew's dinner table. Can you picture this for a moment? Can you picture a scenario where like, Jesus is at the centre of this? You've got Matthew who's got all of this excitement. You know, that moment, maybe you had a moment like this when you first encountered the love and grace and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And you were full of beans. Like you were full of enthusiasm about it. And you, you can't wait to tell people. And he's done that and he's got that. But the people that are now around the table aren't the sort of religious crew. Like, they're the Pharisees in this story. They're not, ev- they're not even in the house. But, but the people around the table are the, the quote-unquote sinners and tax collectors. What, and Jesus' disciples that he called already. I mean, what an odd mix for a dinner party. How would you seat those people? You just imagine the, the chaos going on as, as like, I don't know, there's probably a few thieves in the room and they're like eyeing up a few things from like, you know, Matthew's TV and he's nicked that off the wall and there's a few people, you know, like, just put the salt and pepper shaker in your bag, love. Just slide it into your handbag. There's just what we need for our place. And a couple of that, a couple of tax collectors discussing whether this officially counts as a tax collector gathering, therefore could be decided it's a tax deductible expenditure for this meal and they're figuring that out and uh, and Jesus is there and he's decided like some of these maybe some of these guys are 13 and they're sat around the table with the tax collectors and the sinners the worst of the bunch how are they going to explain to their mum what who do you have a good day what was it like following the rabbi today did you learn something good from the Torah well yeah we popped out for some lunch and I made it out alive. And mum, that's all you need to worry about. I'm safe. I'm... Like, I've got to tell you how chaotic, how messed up this scenario is. Yes, of course it is. Because yes, that's what the gospel is. Yes, the gospel sees past these labels like, I'm the tax collector, I'm a sinner, I'm a disciple, I grew up following this, I've joined this late. The gospel cuts through and sees past all of those labels and says, just pull a chair up to the table. Because there's no us and them. There's no us and them. It's just Christ. There's just Christ and a table and tax collectors, sinners and disciples sat around it together in unity and oneness because Christ sees past all of that. When the presence of Christ is with us, all of those labels disappear. They're labels that you bring. They're labels that someone else has to bring to help somebody else understand the importance of the story. They're not the labels that Christ brings when his presence is among us. All of those labels go. And it's just 
pull a seat up at the table because there's Christ and there's you and the presence of Christ is here. And Christ brings his love to us. This, this is why communion is so powerful. Uh, we're going to finish with communion, as I said. So, band, you can come up. This is why communion is, is so important. Uh, Paul the Apostle says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Every time you take communion, every time you take the cup and the juice or the wine or whatever your practice is, every time you do that, you announce the gospel. You preach the good news every time you take that bite of bread and sip that cup. You, you announce that the gospel has transformed me and, I'm a, and I accept the invitation to participate in it. That those labels don't apply because there's just Christ and me. Some traditions really emphasise the, the presence of Christ in the elements themselves. I think that, that's, there's some really powerful sentiments in there, isn't there? Uh, and we have, a, we have a similar thing when we take communion. Maybe uh, like when we say Christ broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my cup poured out for you. Like my presence is with you. Uh, I, know it's, I know it's mad you were at home. You probably had to find a biscuit or a, a, something out your fridge, like a bit of cake and some, and some Coke or something. And, and in this room, we've got these tiny little disposable cups. And are, a, that whole thing is a million miles away from, from a meal that was shared like the Lord's Supper and Jesus sat with his disciples and what a ragtag bunch they all turned out to be as well. And he says, come, eat with me because this is how we remember my presence is with you. By taking the juice, by taking the bread, and we remember I am with you. Pull up your chair because the gospel can transform you, but the gospel is also a participation invitation for others. So who would you identify with around that table of Matthews? Do you identify as the tax collector? The one who's, uh, the disciple who's missed it a little bit? Uh, the sinner, however you want to identify that. A, a disciple, someone who's been following since they were young. Who do you identify with around that table? And the second question I want to ask is this. Um, what are you going to use your table for? How will you use your table to extend the invitation of the gospel even further. Is there room around your table for one more chair? So let, let me talk to you as one church for a moment as your pastor. And if you're brand new, I'm talking, you're included in this. If you've been coming here for a long time, you've made it past this last year or two and you're still here. Let, let me talk to you for a moment. One church, the gospel in this next season is not going to be heard best through microphones, music, stages and services. The gospel is going to be heard best and loudest around dinner tables, picnic rugs and barbecues. That's the whole point of this, of this series, is to say that the gospel part two, for us to participate in it, how is the gospel going to be shared? No sandwich boards, just sandwiches. And I'm asking you, Pull, pull the extra bit up at the, you know the bit at the end of your table, that you can, the flap at the end. Could you, could you lift that up and make a few more spaces? Could you get the, the other chairs out the loft? Is there, is there room on your barbecue for a few extra sausages? Could you invite somebody to pull their chair up to your table and just, well, the presence of Christ is in me, so Christ is here, and the gospel is going to be shared through this meal through the invitation, through the acceptance, through the forgiveness, through the, through the welcoming, because every hello matters.
So uh, if you are at home and you've got something to take communion, would you grab that now? And if you're in the room, just grab those uh, little cups. There's a little lid that you can peel off and there's a, a small wafer on top. And uh, I'm going to lead you in, in communion just in a moment. Just give everybody a chance to get ready. And we're going to take this moment of communion to remind ourselves of the transformation of the gospel that Christ has done in us. And we're going to thank him. And we're going to remember the words of Paul that said, when I sip this and I bite this, that in itself is an announcement of the good news. So wherever you are, just take the wafer or your bread or whatever you've got at home, pop it in your mouth. Then take the juice when you're ready. If you're taking this with family and friends, pray with one another right now if you're at home. Uh, if you're in the room, bow, bow your heads and let's pray together, shall we? Father God, may these little symbols remind us that your presence is with us and you invite us to sit around the table with you and our labels get left at the door and our moments of rejection become moments of history and we're reminded that your love keeps no record of wrong. And we're reminded again that you call to us, follow me. And we choose to follow you. And God, I pray over this church that you would release us into a season of the gospel being shared around tables, picnic rugs, barbecues. We will gather around tables, meet with one another, we remember that we're part of a community, part of a family, an extended family. Pray over those of you that have the gift of hospitality. This is your time to really shine in the life of the church. So God, I pray that that gift would rise and we would celebrate and appreciate and thank you for your gospel, but know that that's part one is our transformation and part two comes this invitation to participate in it. And may every hallow matter as it carries the weight and the presence of Christ within it. Amen.